This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's Fauci Day, everybody. Fauci Day. Dr. Fauci's his uh, newest book is out, uh, Exceed Your Expectations or something. It's already, I'm told, it's already been flagged on Amazon, maybe disappearing. Uh, people are saying that ca- Fauci's being canceled. We'll talk about the Fauci emails. I haven't examined them all, uh, but I have an opinion, as you can imagine, on the whole situation. And we'll also talk with uh, John Schlafly about the situation where they're targeting American uh, energy coming out of the White House, and they're doing it better than ever, the targeting, I mean, because they have more regulatory power than ever. So we'll talk with John Schlafly, his column, along with his brother Andy. The Schlafly Report is available over townhall.com. We'll talk about that. And then we'll visit with Dr. Decker. In fact, I will ask Dr. Decker, I think I'll get an update on China, uh, what's happening in China. The Olympics are coming to China a year from now. Uh, The Summer Olympics, a little bit over a year from now, are supposed to be in China. A lot of talk about will the Americans attend? Will we boycott? What's the story? Uh, And at the same time, there is a new movement amongst the Chinese. Uh, President Xi has said we need to have a um, we need to be more lovable. Lovable is the word he used. And I was visiting with a uh, scholar who told me this will be about the third or fourth what they call charm offensive, specific targeted plan to soften the image of China. We'll see if it works. I somehow doubt it. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to be lovable when you're sending fentanyl. That's what I put on Twitter. When you're sending fentanyl to America that kills uh, tens of thousands, 50, 60,000 people, it doesn't feel lovable. All right. So let's talk about uh, the um, the story of the day. Um, certainly a big story. Um, first, I will say this. If you haven't had your emails gone through by the media and the public before, it's a very unsettling thing. I had this happen to me when I was working for the Missouri governor in uh, 2000 and I guess six, seven and eight. And there was a there was a uh, sunshine request and I ended up with lots of emails. And, you know, it just is simply true. You cannot convey all that you are communicating through email or text, by the way. So it's a kind of unsettling thing. And when you see that there's thousands of emails under a sunshine request that are, uh, that are, uh, Dr. Fauci's that are released, it certainly is it makes you kind of go, oh, if you've had this experience, you're like, oh, man, this is this is torture. There's there's some in there where he's talk, complaining about how tired he is and he's talking about all these different things. And, you know, it's kind of again, it's kind of a snippets um, into the um, into the uh, uh, a life of someone that's uh, that's a little bit unfair fair. Okay. That's just my instinct about it. It's not really, it doesn't give you the full context. However, two things come from that. One, you better not use your email for things, um, think if you know they can become uh, public. In other words, you can't complain. There's no nuance later if you're a public figure. You know, it's one of the reasons why Donald Trump is probably the smartest guy around on this. He doesn't use email at all. So there's no emails from him, you know, back and forth. I don't know if Biden does. Obama did a lot. Obama did a lot. And a lot of that presidential stuff is blocked. Um, You know, you're not able to get it, at least while the person's president. But anyway, so that's number one. But the second thing is it, it just does reveal some things. And with the Fauci emails, what it reveals, and I don't think this is overstating it, is you just really can't trust him. Meaning he was saying things uh, in his in his emails, which I will call private correspondence, that sometimes agreed with what he said in public, but sometimes clearly didn't agree. And that he's sort of talking to people about concerns that we certainly have now. And I think we had then that weren't addressed. 
And so you can go all you can go all the way over, you know, to the one side and say he's an absolute liar. It's the greatest scandal ever. I'm not sure about that yet, but it certainly is true that he um, there was a lot happening, and he is not he's not he doesn't come across as particularly virtuous or particularly helpful. And here's what you need to know. This is my opinion on this. What this is is the sort of final two observations. One is he certainly is riding his uh, 15 minutes of fame for a couple of years, not 15 minutes. And and, you know, he's an almost 80 year old man. He's been a prominent public health official for 30 years and he's received honorary doctorates and all this kind of stuff. So it's not like he's not been in the public eye. But for three years now or, or three, two and a half, I guess not three, two and a half years, two years, not even three, not even two, a year and a half. He's been an international figure. And he's rode that and doing a book like the one he's doing about uh, lessons learned or whatever. You know, he's kind of milking it. Um, He really is. But the second thing I would say is he has, in some sense, betrayed, in some sense, just given an indication of the fact that these people in power, bureaucrats, are not uh, all-knowing. They're not all virtuous. They're not really that honorable in some ways. They're very, very human. And as I said in an interview earlier in the day, when you have your the, the bubble burst over Fauci, a lot of us thought, well, he was playing fast and loose with the rules. We don't know really what was uh, true. On the other hand, it kind of stinks that the people that are supposed to be sort of honorable and serious are just not. Now, it's liberating, right? You shouldn't take the word of all these experts anymore. You should kind of figure it out, do your own risk management, do the balancing tests. You know, in other words, just because so-and-so says it doesn't mean you have to believe it. It's, a, it's important for us to have sensible doubt about all these experts in all these fields. You did, I could go into this on pharmaceuticals. People say, you need this, you need that, you need the other thing. Well, slow down on, on nutrition. People say, you got to do this, got to do that, got to... All kinds of things. All kinds of things that have to do with their these so-called experts... Another example is education, people to tell you what you need to be educated, you know, the kinds of these bureaucrats who have a sense of common core and all these things. These people are not trustworthy. It doesn't mean that they don't have something redeeming. Many of them do. Many of them have part of it's redeeming, part of it's not, but you cannot trust them anymore. And the the period of time where you can, the, the time period where you could trust them is long gone. And what Fauci's emails sort of finally do is, I think, lay bare that simple fact that you just can't trust the bureaucrats. You just can't trust what they're doing. And if you do, you do it at your own risk. And so, again, I think we'll learn more as we get more of these emails and they get there's thousands of them. I only read I read the I read some of them uh, firsthand, but I mostly read accounts of them. Right. And I would watch, um, you know, CNN basically says he's the greatest man ever who's tired from working so hard. And then Fox News is saying, you know, he's the devil incarnate. Look what he lied about and all. And somewhere in between, I think, is clearly he was not telling us all the things that he knew about what was happening in Wuhan. And I suspect if you asked him, he would say he wasn't under a requirement to do that. He would say, you know, I was telling you the things you needed to know. There's one exchange, though, where he's basically saying to someone, masks masks are for people that have the disease, not for people that don't. And he goes into a long, lengthy description of that. I, that that right there, I, I've always thought he was lying about the masks at various times. So at the very beginning, he was saying, don't use masks. And I was told he did that because they didn't want to have a run on masks, you know, that they needed the healthcare workers to have them. And so that was a strategic lie. I don't actually hold him accountable to that. I, I kind of think, well, if that was true, you know, the Solicitor General, if you remember that guy who's a doctor from Indiana, uh, somebody in Pence world, he lied to everybody's face. He said, you know, don't use masks. They don't work. And then later he had to admit they did. And he kind of was 
of faded from uh, from view because he had so clearly lied. Fauci was a little more sophisticated, but I've always thought that he was um, w- when he was doing things like that, you know, directing people in a way because of fear of of. Um, of uh, of a run on PPE or on the reality of remember there was a period where we were so everybody's so afraid that we didn't have enough ventilators all that stuff but it looks like there's times where he's giving advice and it's really it's there's no good reason for what he was doing at least in the exchanges I saw and so again you know we, there's plenty of time and plenty of room to be sort of angry at uh, at Fauci I think there will be lots of that people will have an opinion but I think the bigger question to me is uh, is what do we do now. Because you can't have a world where you don't trust anyone who's in authority, right? You have to have a world where you have people in your life that you can talk to and develop an idea on risk management. You know, and if you can't rely on the public health professionals, and I don't think you can, then you have to say, who is it? Is it your local doctor? Does he give you good advice? People don't have that relationship, it seems to me, with their doctor the same way. Is it uh, social media where somebody can be a voice? Who? How do you build back... The, enough confidence in institutions to make it so that people are uh, comfortable in making the risk management judgments, right? Again, I think we'll find in history that they knew early on that the children weren't vectors and the idea of closing schools was pure politics by the school systems. I, I think that that will become clear very quickly. Uh, but again, building back trust is a bigger t- uh, tension, a bigger uh, a question that we have to get to. All right, we got to take a break, everybody. We'll be back. We've got uh, uh, John Schlafly today and Brett Decker. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Time to visit with our old friend, John Schlafly. John Schlafly is the treasurer and uh, one of the leaders of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. He is also the co-author with his brother, Andy, of the Schlafly Report, uh, which comes out weekly. It's a column that's over at townhall.com and available there. Also archived at phyllisschlafly.com. John and Andy Schlafly do the column each week. This week's column, Dems Target Energy to Advance Agenda. Now, John, lost in, I think, the, uh, I don't know, coverage of Liz Cheney or the coverage of uh, uh, the Tulsa massacre of 100 years ago is these shifts that Biden is doing. Before I get to specifics of this column, is this part of what he's doing in his budget? Is this a budget action or is this outside of the budget? Well, admittedly, I haven't, uh, you know, really delved deeply into the budget, but it's certainly part of the Biden administration and it's inside the budget. And one action that, you know, came too late for the column was that he's, you know, once again canceling any oil drilling in the, uh, up in Alaska. Right. Uh, You know, uh, the war on energy is is uh which the Biden administration is leading this is a war on America basically energy is what has makes America go and Americans are on the move and uh we need energy and one of the great things that uh president trump did was to finally achieve energy independence for the united states after 70 years in which energy independence was uh a goal for presidents of both parties, but never accomplished, and now Trump accomplished it. And Biden promises to basically turn that around and reverse it, because he's put John Kerry in charge of energy, and Kerry's goal is to basically shut down energy, shut down oil and gas, uh, put people into electric cars, and um, 
um, you know, even some of the latest things that some of these, like Oakland, California, and New York State, uh, preventing homes from hooking up to natural gas to heat their homes. How ridiculous is that? You know, they're saying they can only heat by electricity, which is more expensive. And, uh, you know, we've seen, Ed, how you can't always count on the electric grid. Look at what happened in Texas uh, a couple of months ago. And electricity is under centralized control. And uh, some of your listeners may realize that the electric industry has been on a uh, campaign over the last couple of years to wire all homes up with smart meters, which means they'll be able to control consumption of electricity in your home. But gasoline uh, in your car, this is what makes it possible for freedom in America. And we can't let that get away from us. Well, and John, what I'm interested, too, in this column is the sort of broadening of the regulatory effort. In the in this column, again, we're talking with John Schlafly, uh, we see that they don't have the votes to pass the agenda in the Senate. They probably have it in the House because of uh, Pelosi. And so they're actually going out and they're they're pushing on the big banks uh, and trying to get the banks to refuse to loan money to entities that they think are not, you know, that are not the ones they like. Basically, and you use the term traditional energy production companies, and they're saying to banks, don't deal with them, don't loan the money. And, you know, in the, in, in the in these kind of a business, you know, you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that are moving in and out and you're and banks are are necessary. They make a living on it. They make a, they make their profit on it, but they're they're going to fronting money for uh energy companies as they lag and they and they and they move in fits and starts that's i guess i'd first ask is that a new approach john or are we just seeing it on this agenda i mean is it yes, is that it, something it is. that goes on okay well, tell me the, the 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 application to energy is new but we've seen glimmers of this as banker banks and investors are importing uh, various social you know social policies and you know uh, into their financial decisions, and this is this is concerning. It's been building for a while, and it did come to a head just in the last month with energy companies, where there was, uh, you know, the anti-energy people, the anti-oil people, managed to elect two members to the ExxonMobil board of directors. Now that was shock- mm-hmm. that was really shocking, and uh, they also elected, I think, somebody to the Chevron board of directors, and then you have um, two the, the two biggest uh, foreign oil companies, BP, formerly British Petroleum, which now calls itself Beyond Petroleum. How ridiculous is that? Their business is petroleum, <laughs> but they claim right. they're going beyond that. To emerald, and they're, they've used a, a sunburst as their symbol now, instead of their traditional symbol, uh, as if their energy comes from the sun. Well, I guess over a period of millennia, I guess uh, the oil that's in the ground originally did come from the sun, but that was many, many mm-hmm. millions of years ago. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, and, 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 and we're talking uh, with John Schlafly. Court, court ruling in in the Netherlands against the Shell oil company. So. The one, two, three, four punch against four of the biggest, the world's biggest oil companies. And so they're using financial pressure against these companies. And it's well, very and, and that's what to Americans who depend on the, uh, the ready access to gas, 
gas up your cars at 100,000 gas stations across America. The the um, John, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, uh, inside this column again, John and Andy's column is uh, Dems target environment uh, energy to advance agenda. You refer to um, fifteen state treasurers writing to Kerry saying, "Stop pressuring the banks to cut off our our uh, uh, the, the stop pressuring the banks to cutting off uh, the, the uh, um, coal and oil and natural gas companies from operating." Um, that it feels like the next step will be that they'll run people for the state treasurers and uh and um uh and and try to shape it that way i think you know the treasurers generally are, are controlling more like investments in states and things like that but um john i didn't see well, mention in there includes, and you certainly that, that includes investing yeah. in the energy industry you know many many millions of americans if they have any stocks at all stock investments at all it's likely to be in energy companies that is uh, you know it used to be that the AT&T was the most widely held stock. But now I think it's the energy companies that pay a nice big fat dividend. And it's basically what millions of Americans live on is the dividends generated by, you know, Exxon, Chevron, BP, and, and the other big energy companies. So that includes states, too. It includes pension funds. And that's why state treasurers have raised this concern about the assault on America's energy industry. So it's across the um, board. It's a concern. We, uh, John, and what is not, you don't mention in your column, you don't hear it out of the uh, um, um, Biden administration, but, um, you know, we've talked about it a number of times on the show that nuclear energy, the new nuclear generation four, it's sometimes called, which is, you know, uh, almost impossible to have meltdowns the same way. It's um, it's portable. It's what most people think is the likely um uh, path forward for space. Um, you, you don't see that mentioned because that's that's clean. I mean, that's if you get nuclear, you 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 know that's that's clean uh, comparatively. But I, I guess that's not uh, acceptable to the environmental activist kind of crowd. Well, nuclear does not cause uh, climate change, global warming, and to that, if that's what you mean by clean, that's right. And uh, you know, ever since uh, you know the left, the world's and socialistic movement cooked up the global warming or climate change theory, a kind of a, uh, you know, many people have said, well, what about nuclear? And, and yet they don't support nuclear. So uh, it shows how hypocritical they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nuclear energy so- is not going to power our cars. And the, th- the thrust of our column is that, you know, we still have a situation where gasoline is there's no there is no ready read, there is no easy or readily available replacement for the network of distribution of gasoline to power uh, our cars and uh, nor is there any satisfactory substitute for natural gas to heat and cool our or heat our homes uh, as well mm-hmm. as to generate electricity in most parts of the country so you know oil and gas you know there's no there's no getting away with that and we can't allow these different pressure groups to uh down that important industry which is what they're trying to do 
to you, uh, John. Where where do we end up with this? Does it um, does it politically uh, whipsaw? But we had a period where gas prices went up dramatically. I think it's kind of stabilized. It hasn't gone up again, although it's still higher than it was. Uh, what's the future of this? What's your what's your sense if you have to predict where we end up? Uh, well, I, I hope we can count on uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia not to go along with the Biden administration, and that means the Senate will not pass what Biden wants to do if he stands, you know, if he stands on that. But, you know, there's much that Biden is doing without the need for Congress, and that is a concern. And, as you pointed out, uh, you know, the left is has tried hard to take over the financial industries, the banking and finance, banking and finance, and they're using the pressure of banks and finance to exert great mm-hmm. pressure uh, on uh, the oil and gas industry. So, yeah. uh, I mean, there, there's, there's many fronts that this battle is on, but I just want to be sure that every one of your listeners, you know, is attuned to the risks that Americans face uh, from the attack on energy, the attack on mobility, you know, you know, ever since you know, oil was discovered in western Pennsylvania in, in 1870 and uh, uh, until where we are today, oil and gas has why Americans is on the move and we can't lose sight of that and we can't let go of it. Mm-hmm. It is, um, it's, as you point out, the real danger here is that, uh, is that there's... Um there's so much that can be done regulatory, and in some sense, the uh, the Biden administration had had you know a, uh, about eight years of practice, and they've decided that they know how to do this, and they're going to go and they're going to do this a lot, and they're going to use the power of the regulatory framework uh, to move things in the direction they want. All right, John Schlafly, I've got to go. It's John Schlafly. His column is over at Townhall.com. You can always check it out there, and also available archived at PhyllisSchlafly.com. This week's column again is Dems target energy to advance agenda. Another aspect of what's happening that a lot. A lot of people are missing if you're only focused on Fauci's emails and not all the rest that's happening in this country where it looks like the Biden administration is continuing the Obama tradition to fundamentally transform America. Uh, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Seems like it's been a while since we've talked to Dr. Brett Decker. Dr. Decker is a professor at Defiance College in Ohio, and he is a New York Times bestselling author, has written a number of books, and was a journalist in the Far East for Wall Street Journal Asia, and also spent some time in the swamp, uh, both in the uh, in the Republican administration as well as uh, as a journalist. Uh, welcome, Dr. Decker. First, here's a question I asked uh, you. I, had, I keep thinking to ask you and, and forget. Um, should the Americans boycott the Olympics in China? Should China host the Olympics? Um, you know, the, the, the boycotting business, I kind of go back and forth on that. And that, um, you know, if everyone boycotts everybody they disagree with, then that's going to just, it, it just keeps, it, it just, it's just a pendulum that keeps swinging back and forth. I think. I think where people need to exert influence is when the decisions are being made by the International Olympic Committee where to have them in the first place. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we don't want them to be in, in, in Beijing, if we don't want China to get the Olympics, then we need to exert pressure and exert 
you know, financial influence on the International Olympic Committee, um, where politics can have a sway, you know? So I, th- right. I think that's the place to do it. Once they're scheduled, once they're going to happen, I mean, there's a 50-50 chance we're not going to like wherever they're happening or there might be problems somewhere. So I think, I think the best thing to do once they're scheduled, once the International Olympic Committee has made a bad decision is, you know, to go and just win, be America, right? Like the, like the 1980, like, you know, like the 1980 hockey team, right? Taking down the, taking right. down the Soviets. And I think that's the thing to do is show why America's better, right? We're superior to China and just, you know, uh, uh, you know, beat the, uh, beat the soy sauce out of them. Right. Uh, I think that's politically incorrect, but okay. Um, now, but the Olympics are in 2022, and there was a piece in the BBC that I read about uh, just the other day. Um, maybe it may have been this morning. Um, and uh, it said they're basically on another charm offensive. President Xi announced, we got to clean up our image. And, you know, the Chinese, they do nothing sort of small. They don't do small ball. They do big ball. Can we expect uh, sort of a, a uh, whitewashing of, uh, of China, you know, of what's happening now? Is that what's coming next? You know, I love this idea of like a, you know, a kinder, gentler president. She is it's like, you can't make this stuff up, right? It's like, it, it's like, <laughs> right. it, it's like Joe Biden having all A's or whatever, right? I mean, um, right. but you, know, you have to remember, this is a place that sells uh, body parts on the black market of prisoners they execute just because they've decided how much their body and organs are worth per pound, right? It's a terrible place, right? They have concentration camps. Uh, you're right. You're in prison for your religion. But I think what's the most interesting thing about this cuddly version of President Xi is, is, you know, what's the cuddliest thing you can come up with, right? Other than dogs or cats or whatever. It's like a teddy bear. Well, if you go back a couple of years ago on the Internet, all these memes were comparing, like during Obama's presidency, all these memes were comparing President Xi to Winnie the Pooh. And they're all, you probably remember these, they, they had like President Xi and then they had Winnie the yeah. Pooh next to each other walking and they looked like exactly the same. So, so what was the reaction of this new kinder, gentler President Xi back then? Well, they made Winnie the Pooh illegal in China and you'd get censored and you're, and you're right. Obviously social media companies like Google and Facebook are in, you know, sort of in the, uh, uh, sort of suck up to China all the time, they would pull down people's things if China asked them to, just for having Winnie the Pooh on there with President Xi. So, you know, nicer, gentler, it's, it's going to be a hard sell, and I'm, I'm not too worried about that, especially as they, right, terrorize their own people. We, um, we are... Uh we are a couple of days away from a jobs report that already the Biden administration is test driving uh, that it's going to be bad. And uh, but we shouldn't overreact. I mean, this may be a thing where it's not going to be as bad, but it certainly does seem like the economy is sort of less certain than ever. What is your sense of that? I you know, we just had on the program uh, John Schlafly, whose column this week is on the the uh, uh, targeting of uh, energy uh, by the Biden administration, which raises cost of gasoline and natural gas and other things. Um, well, you know, that, and that, that's always a drag on the economy. So what, what's your feeling on the economy right now? Where are we? Boy, we're in this bizarre place where you can't find anything. I went to Home Depot this week and they're like out of lumber. I was looking for um, some pallets uh, to, to store some stuff on. 
And somebody told me it's hard to find pallets because people are taking all the pallets because they need the, the wood out of them. Think how crazy that is. This is kind of like where liberalism gets us, right? Prices go up, demand skyrockets because no, you can't get anything. And, and I, you know, we're in this unusual situation where nobody's working, but then businesses can't find any workers because government's been paying people not to work, right? So uh, it, it's completely dangerous. And I think one thing we see happening now, and this is something to keep our eyes on, is um, one thing that has been booming is demand for homes, right? The real estate market's been been, been going crazy. The last uh, two weeks, uh, there's been a softening of demand in uh, in the real estate market. So if you take higher gas prices, higher prices across the board, lack of supply in almost everything. Right. right? You can't, if you look at car dealerships, their lots are empty because they can't produce cars because uh, they're like, they're missing microchips and stuff. And right. now if you look, if there's a softening of real estate market, I mean, what, where is anything going well, right? The, the stock market uh, the last couple of weeks have been softer. So I think, you know, we're on the verge of a cliff here. It's um yeah yeah I mean I the only thing I hope is that coming out of the um out of the pandemic you've got a lot of pent up uh, demand and savings and things that may sort of soften some of that we'll see uh, if uh, we'll see if the uh, now you you've been an observer and a writer on uh, the administrations we're six months into the Biden administration the borders are absolute chaos the uh, Middle East is chaos I mean and I'm not unbiased right I'm not I, I shouldn't overstate it it's just it's a mess but um, it's is it, you know, what do you, where do you think we are? What's the politics of 2022 look like? I, a lot of people are picking out the drapes, Republicans in the House. They, they're ready to get into the majority. I, I just feel like there's more to come. But, uh, you know, what, give, us, give me your sense on things. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there are a couple of things. One, it's, it's hard to really know what's going on in the Biden administration since the president, uh, President Biden or Joe Biden, whatever, has like one meeting a day maximum, right? So you have this catatonic president. So who knows who's right driving the ship? As far as the midterm right. elections, it should be an overwhelming win for Republicans. But two things. One, Democrats have figured out how to steal elections. So who knows how that works out in a congressional, uh, you know, a sort of. Uh, more diversified congressional election. Um, but also, you know, never underestimate the Republicans' ability to shoot themselves in the feet either, you know? So right. um, are they going to take advantage of, of if, if Biden throws him a bunch of softballs, are they going to swing at him? And, and who knows, right? Right. Right. It is, um, I, I think the one wild card here is, I, I keep telling everybody, um, Absent anything extraordinary, the party out of power, especially with this liberal uh, president, this, you know, clearly out of the mainstream, you should um, you should see them sweeping back in. But that's absent uh, anything, you know, sort of uh, extraordinary. And I think the Democrats now know you just got to do something extraordinary. And I think that's um, pretty clearly an option and and uh, and one that, you know, that we'll see whether it's another covid or what. How how about uh, Dr. Decker? I'm not sure if you followed as close. I only made a few comments on it at the beginning of the program. Uh, Dr. Fauci, his emails now, we're looking into somebody's emails. I always tell people, be careful when you go into somebody's emails. You're only seeing a slice of their life. You're not seeing the whole thing. You're seeing pieces of it. But it certainly has been damning to see what he was saying and when he was saying it. 
you know, I agree with you. When you start looking at people's correspondence from only selective parts of it, you have to be worried about things being out of context, right? I, I, I think that's always a danger. Um, that said, I don't think anyone's going to investigate Fauci, right? Look, if you look at all the people like FBI agents and things and people in the CIA, it broke the law under President Trump. They didn't get prosecuted even when President Trump had his own people at the Justice Department, right? So Fauci, who's part of the establishment, part, you know, a swamp monster, there's no way when you have... Uh, the left in charge of the Justice Department that anybody's going to go after Fauci. And, and Republicans, as far as having any kind of investigative ability in Congress, even when they have the majority, um, they haven't shown that they're effective at, 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 at investigating. So I, I think Fauci is probably the safest person on the planet right now. <laughs> I was going to say, you, after the after the January 6th commission fails in the Senate, uh, you know that uh, Pelosi will say, OK, I don't care. I'm setting up a select committee. She'll appoint it. It'll go about its business, CNN, and uh, and everybody will cover it as if it's uh, the greatest uh, investigative body ever. Get the Republicans in power in two years. They'll hem and haw. They'll probably give the Democrats investigative committees, you know, like they did the Mueller investigation. And uh, and we'll see nobody nobody held accountable like that we've over and over again. We've seen. All right. Dr. Decker, thank Thank you as always uh, we appreciate it and uh oh you're on summer break very soon are you going off to uh far off lands to do archaeology this year uh, you know i'm still not traveling i'm i, I all these places are requiring you know vaccinations and secret passports and all that stuff it, it's not really a time to travel so i'm going to spend a few weeks uh in notre dame this summer and that's just a couple hours away from me by car and and then hopefully hopefully we'll be uh in the Indiana Jones thing again next summer. <laughs> there you go. All right, Dr. Brett M. Decker, everybody. We will take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I got an email from one of our listeners over the long weekend, and he forwarded me, forwarded me an article, one of you, I'm sorry, I'm looking for his email. Thomas, I think, was his name, but I'll find it in a second. But I have the article in front of me. And it's in the uh, American Conservative, American Conservative, theamericanconservative.com. And the title is Why Republicans Must Rethink Antitrust. Now, I have to tell you, the more I talk to people, and it reminded me of this is earlier on, uh, I think, Tuesday, I had lunch with a new friend, a retired military guy, a colonel who worked in national security. And this topic came up. The, the question of... How can you possibly get control of the massive media uh, conglomerates, the big tech? You know, and, and you guys hear me talk about it all the time. Well, our friend Rachel Bovard, who has uh, been on the show many times and is really a great, well, she's a great, um, she's a great leader. She's out there a lot on some key uh, issues. And she right now is the senior director of policy at the Conservative Partnership Institute. And uh, she's also uh, worked on the on one of the uh, internet accessibility projects with Mike Davis. But she writes a long piece and very nice, very helpful. And it basically challenges conservative Republicans to get a little more focused on the fact that you can't antitrust is not the old antitrust. We're dealing with a different moment in history. And again, I was going to tell you is I have more and more people, this uh, old timer, a, co- a colonel, and we had lunch and I said something, I said, how do you try to control, how do you try to manage for the impact of big tech? Because he's a conservative guy and he wants to get his voice out on some key issues. And he said, well, first of all, he went to a long riff and he said, and that's why we have to use antitrust and break up the, the big tech companies like Google. And I, I actually meant 
what do you practically do right now? Not what you want the future to be, but he went on this long riff. And he actually came up one one line he said is just as a practical matter, stop saying Google something when you want to search for something. He said, start using other search engines, but just mostly try to change the language of the uh, of the usage, and that was kind of interesting. And he went on. He's a he's a professional uh, uh, military intelligence guy, so he's not he's not doesn't not somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about. But back to my uh, this Rachel Bovard piece. You go through it. She marches through enough of the history, and she's you know the antitrust law, of course, was the framework, the legal framework that was uh, uh, used to stop the trusts that were basically monopolies in uh, in our uh, uh, nation in the turning uh, at the turn of the last century in the 1900s, late 1800s and early 1900s. And she makes the argument, hey, there's plenty of free market people that believe that the free market capitalism that we love requires antitrust theory because it's precisely the free market that's not free because of uh, of the antitrust. And my point on this is it is brutal if you really focus, and I, you, you all hear me talk about it all the time, the narrative machine, it's brutal to think how you can beat the narrative machine. Over the weekend, you saw that quote from um, General Flynn. Given a, given an, he was giving a, uh, a talk in uh, Dallas, got asked a question about a coup or something. He answered the question kind of inartfully in a way, but he mostly a- answered it quickly and moved on. And the clip was put out on social media within a minute, not a minute, but within a moment, a few minutes, and it was covered on social media like it was you know, a definitive statement. And it was just total nonsense, but it was dominant. And within an hour or two, because he thought it was important to do, he put a statement out saying, they're quoting me and saying this, that's just not true. And yet, 48 hours later, you couldn't really find, it's kind of like the old days where somebody wrote an article in a newspaper and lied about you. And by the time you, uh, by the time you go and, um, uh, um, if you, you go back to try to get a retraction, they put it on page, you know, 47 of the paper. Nobody sees that. That's always one of the complaints. That's the kind of thing that happens with big tech. They let something go out as truth. You never get to unring the bell. Another example, uh, Facebook has recently said that they will no longer ban or no longer shadow ban people who are talking about the idea that COVID was man-made. A year and two months into it, for all this time, if you talked about that, you were silenced. So where's the? think about how powerful that is to get control of us. All right, everybody, i got to run. i got to run. I'm running out of time. Thank you, as always, to know our technical director, Joanna, for booking our guests, and you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. I will talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.